0: Assalamu alaykum, may the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alamine, and we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can keep up with us at Radio Islam USA. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us wherever you get your Z. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, just to name a few of those uh, platforms, and with that same username, at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks, before we get started, always have to take a moment to introduce that rumbling that you may hear in the background because we are a stone's throw away from (laughs) the elevated trains in downtown Chicago. So that could be the green, the blue, no, not the blue, the green, the orange, the brown, the purple, it's a bunch of them, right? But that's what it is that you hear in the background. Folks, I am happy to have joining me uh, in studio two folks that you are going to be hearing from with some regularity in the future, inshallah, with God's permission. Uh, Aydin Anwar, she is a recent graduate of Duke University, majored in international studies. She's a, a Uyghur activist. She had a viral video. You know what viral is, right? It went, like, blew up, <laughs> big time. Uh, now this video. And we also have Sadiq bin Abdullah. He is a UFC master's recipient in Middle Eastern studies. He was the vice president and Director of Government Affairs for CARE Minnesota. These are two Radio Islam contributors, and I want you to join me in welcoming them to Radio Islam. as alaikum Wa alaikum salam wa Aydin, I'm really welcoming you back because you've been on before. We had a, yeah. uh, a good conversation sometime last year. It was like the middle of that last year? Yeah. Do you
1: remember? Uh, no, it was April, I believe. Was it this year? Yeah, it was this year man I am really messed up.
0: Okay. Really messed up. <laughs> That's fine. Okay it, it seems like so long ago, but it wasn't that far. Um, but we were having some conversation offline that we said, you know what we need to bring this to the people right We need to let folks know uh, and, and, and hopefully this is something that people can think about, reflect on. And if you have any comments or so you can leave them you know hit us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email producer at radioslam.com. So we're talking about activism. Uh, Mm -hmm. Muslims, Muslim activists in the US, and there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. So first off, let's get a definition, right? This is unscripted, first off, because we didn't didn't say we're gonna talk about a definition. How would you define activism? Who wants to go first on that?
2: Oh man, this is tough. Yeah? Okay.
1: Yeah, um, I don't have, like, a textbook definition, and yeah. I've never formally learned what activism means. Um, it kind of just formulated as the years go, went by, and, like, you know, you continue to do work for um, a certain population. Within my case, um, it was particularly the Uyghur population that is uh, under the occupation of China and is now going through a genocide. Um, and so I think, I don't know, I for me it was, you know, a very natural... Um, Progression of events that occurred, where, you know, it's it's it was just there was just kind of this 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 desire or this need to like do something about something. Like when something bothers you so much, there's no way you can just ignore it, right? Like your heart actually hurts. Mm-hmm. You 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 cry or whatever the issue may be. You you can't stand uh, silent or stand. Um, you know. Uh, so you've kind of
0: what, given your. Place in activism, right? You define your activism. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of right? defining activism based off I my think that's experience. And better way. To right, do, yeah. right,
1: because I don't think there's one definition of activism, right? Yeah. Um, people may argue there's a different, there's actually a difference between advocacy, activism, organizing. Mm. Um, you know, but you can also claim that they're all intertwined. Um, but activism, at the same time, though, activism, I think there's also. Um, portions where people don't actually have to be, like, on the front lines all the time. You right. could, like, you could technically be an activist by making dua, right? In a way, right? You there's different variations. To, right, there's different variations. You don't, yeah. always, like, people always imagine the activist as the one who's, like, yelling at the protests, or organizing all the protests, and constantly being on their feet. But, like, honestly, it comes in so many different forms, and um, it also comes with lots of responsibility. And, yeah. Uh, um, Honestly, I, I, I personally, this is not to put, you know, words into everyone's mouth about who, if they're an activist, but sometimes you're, people don't actively choose to become one. You just, mm-hmm. it, it becomes like an inherent part of who you mm-hmm. are at that moment given your situation right Mm -hmm. so if you have like a family member who's in a concentration camp or has been killed like naturally like there's no way you can't be an activist for that if you if you if you care actually if your heart is affected if your body's affected by what has happened to you right and obviously you don't have to be a part of a population to become an activist right like if as long as you're human you have um, basic forms of empathy and, and care for your, you know, brothers and sisters, then all of us should be, in a way, activists. So actually I actually have, have a problem even with the phrase or the title of activist. It's kind of like weird to me. Like, I, I don't, because when people are like, oh, what's your title? I'm like, I, I don't know, like, you know, like, I'm an Uyghur, but yeah, and we advocate, but like, you know, all yeah. of us are activists, Loki. Like so even your if
0: your position depends a lot on where you, where you stand in the world.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and and I think like you know like even my mom, like even if she's not, for example, being on the front lines doing all the things, going on media and doing all these things that quote unquote activists do, she makes draw every day, she cries every day about the situation. That is also another form of activism, right? Yeah. Um, so that kinda just a thought yeah. just came up in my head, but I, I, I kind of I'm like, this is just a term yeah. that's been throwing yeah. around that's been thrown around and you know Yeah.
2: But yeah. I remember like like and especially like for me since like I come from a Tunisian background once the revolution took place uh, in 2011 i uh i didn't really participate in anything like like substantially per se um like i didn't like you know <clears throat> drop out of school temporarily and like fly halfway across the world and, you know go to tunis and, and you know participate in the protests uh, you know overthrow ben ali the you know previous dictator i didn't do any of that but i know people who do who've done that and that's incredible and i i you know i have you know they have my utmost respect for them, you know, so, you know, it's, it's incredible to see people do, doing things like that and putting themselves on the forefront. But uh, once the Arab Spring, you know, took off and everything was initiated, uh, my interests were primarily, like, revolved around, like, Iran, Iraq, uh, things happening in the Gulf and whatnot. So, you know, I used to write a lot about that. Um, you know, uh, so that's kind of, like, where my primary focus was on. Now I'm, I'm like, slowly kind of moving more west back to, like, <laughs> you, know, back, you know, Egypt and then Libya, then, you know, Tunis. And so, you know, I'm I'm kind of all over the place. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think one, in, in the, within the realm of activism, I don't think that one should necessarily restrict themselves in, like, what they do or, like, who they advocate for. Uh, kind of going back to what you were saying, I, you know, so as long as you're compassionate and, like, you actually care, um, and you want to see like substantial change manifest and come about, mm-hmm. then I think uh, everyone uh, deserves kind of like the time and place to uh, be part of that, you know, social change.
0: When we think about the squeaky wheel or getting the the oil, yeah, or, or the squeaky gear or whatever it is, right? Um, does it that sort of? I don't know if it if it goes in contradiction to this universal idea of. Justice, right? Or you want everybody to be free. But once again, your response to the world depends upon where you find yourself situated, mm. right? right? Like, I wasn't uh, the, the rights of the American with, with uh, disabilities, right? The whole American sure. Disabilities Act. That wasn't something that really was in my head at any point until my father had a stroke and then a heart attack and ended up in a wheelchair and that sensitized me to when you go out in the public space you know do you have accommodations right so at that point you know I I wrote some pieces you know calling folks so I guess I'm doing what an activist or an advocate would do sure right Uh, and in that line of thought the biggest place that we have right now for I guess Making noise or being a squeaky wheel uh, is social media, mm. right? So, what does it mean for um, for advocacy or activism? You know, how how do you relate to um, how does that how does that come through with, through social media? And how do you how do you advocate in a way that is I don't know—it uh, becomes very specific, right? Yeah. It's just about your particular
2: situation and it's also about like knowing like what tools at your disposal like uh, like knowing how to use those tools at your disposal basically and like knowing what you what what type of impact or what extent the impact that you'll make will have on whatever situation uh, that you're particularly focusing on
1: within for my use of social media when, when it comes to particularly facebook and twitter i've dedicated my social media so facebook and twitter to be solely about the cause mm. uh, mainly because i want people to be able to follow me knowing like okay i'm gonna follow this girl so that. You know i can learn more about the situation because i try to regularly update with current news or on what's happening um but if i but personally if i if i had mixed it around with a lot of other things i feel like it would just kind of blur the lines and and, and not make it like a clear platform for that um and so, social media has definitely been one of the tools that I've been using. Um, although, you know, there's also pushback. You know, that people will say like, you know, people will sometimes use social media and think that that they've that, that they've done enough, yeah. or they're just like, okay, I've done my thing. I've, I I I wrote the hashtag. I made my profile picture blue. You know, with the Sudanese uprising. Like, you know, they feel like they've done something, and maybe they have. But from there, they feel satisfied, or they, they feel like they've done enough. And, and unfortunately, you can't stop from there, right? Um. So, and sometimes, you know, even I'm guilty of that, David. A, I'm like, okay, today I shared a few articles on what happened, is what's happening in East Turkestan. Um, but honestly, and sometimes it really does take a, for me personally, it's taken, even engaging with social media can take a toll on you. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're in activism work, where you're dealing with such heavy material, um, whether, you know, what on any issue, honestly. But within, like, for example, the Uyghur situation, there's just so much mentioning of, like, torture, genocide, um you know, family separation and it's like stuff that deeply affects you so even when sometimes I read one article or I, I, I'm scrolling through Twitter and Facebook and I see the next, you know, update about what's happening, like, it it takes a toll. Like, I and then I, I leave Facebook and Twitter and I just feel, like, sad and depressed and it affects my work day. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, and so sometimes I'm like, you know, okay, well today I was able able to engage with five articles today and still, you know, go about my day. Like I see that for me as an accomplishment. But like, at the same time, I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, what what did that do? You know, maybe it shared. I mean, a few people had learned from the article and it was good. But you know, I fall, I'm I, I'm guilty as well with with the whole notion that like maybe I've done something today by sharing it on my social media or Instagram or whatever.
2: Um, but I think also, yeah, like, I mean, it just goes back to the question of, like, what can I do more? Right. Uh, no, no, like, exactly. Like, exactly. like, and, and how can I contribute more? Right. Uh, right. How can I get involved more? Right. Um, you know, who can I uh, reach out to within my network to be able to, you know, kind of right. exhaust myself towards these causes, and, you know, right. uh, uh, extensively?
0: Isn't it, isn't it as much about not just talking, but who you're talking to? Sure. Right. Because in, at the right. very end, mm-hmm. we are. If we're a nation of law and order, mm-hmm. right and of course I say that a bit tongue in cheek, um, understanding that you know that's old school <laughs> uh, Goldwater dog whistle uh, politics, um, but it means that our voices, our activism, advocacy is all about pushing the needle so that our our laws reflect those voices, right? Yeah. So. So it's not enough just to to share it's not enough it's just not. to talk right no, so do you think that there is a there that that realization is divorced from most people's use of social media as activists they're not really thinking about policy they're not thinking
1: yeah, honestly about. honestly I have I have a like when people are uh, on Twitter or Facebook and we are like okay we want you to call your congressman to support yeah. the Weholder Human Rights Policy Act right yeah honestly I'm gonna be pretty pessimistic about it. I don't think most people who actually retweet that actually end up calling No, it. of
2: course not.
1: It's like, oh, it's an extra step. Someone else will call. Someone else who I retweet this to is gonna probably call, yeah, right. right? It's just a retweet. That's all they do. Hmm. And it's like, no, the point of the tweet is to make people call Congress, the right. Congress people, right? Like, Policy we, is what makes things happen. Exactly, right? <laughs> so, and I'm just like, I, I really don't think people, and unless you make it, like, I know SoundVision, the Save we Uyghur website has like a, uh, a template where you just click on it and it automatically calls for you and it automatically like emails the congressperson for you, and that's like a super easy way to get things done. Um, but even, I feel like even with that, with things made that easy, people are still lazy or people still don't want to take that extra step. You know, they're like, okay, I've raised awareness, I've done my job. I'm like, N- you know, no, it's, it's we need extra steps beyond that. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Sadak, so, so you worked for Care Minnesota. Yes. Advocacy. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, activism as well, but very much in the realm of affecting policy. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, so
2: my essentially my job as the director of government affairs was to uh, facilitate uh, meetings between uh, our uh, executive director uh, Jilani Hussein, uh, great brother, mashallah, yes. um and uh, essentially uh, congressional representatives out in D.C and uh essentially the surrounding states or the nearby nearby states such as north dakota south dakota um i don't think they have care chapters if i'm, if I'm not mistaken if i recall correctly and so essentially we took it upon ourselves to kind of represent those communities as well um uh and i know we, we also collaborated with the community in wisconsin as well and you know so being in dc you know facilitating those meetings organizing everything showed me how the process works and how things are essentially, you know, uh, completed, right? And, uh, how things come about. And so it goes to show, like, the significance and the importance of, like, policy and what that actually means and and to what extent, uh, uh, our our advocacy can go, right? Um, uh, so being in that position was, was very interesting. I learned a lot actually being there, uh, for that time and, uh, uh, you know, I, I just hope that more Muslims in the American Muslim community inshallah, can, you know, be placed in those positions or at least learn from those positions or learn from those who are in those positions, mm-hmm. um, because you know, like, like you said, Iden, like honestly, many people don't take those additional steps into, you know, simply picking up the phone and calling their congressional representatives when, in all actuality, like that's how things are pushed forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's this old show. Um, it's called Maud I don't know if you all remember Maud or no. <laughs> no. Do, you re- do you ever remember seeing a show called Golden Girls or yeah okay. uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm too uh, young for that T-
1: TV
2: Land yeah.
0: okay. <laughs> well the author she was a character um, Dorothy on Golden Girls and she was Maud in the show Maud um, and I guess I'm going a long way to prove it <laughs> just, to, just, to, just to, uh, to illustrate a point uh, Ma was very laid back, and somebody was trying to get her to uh, start jogging, get up for early morning running. And she was like, You know, resistant, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And they said, well, Look, well, what will get you up for an early morning run? And she says, An early morning fire. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I did all of that just to say that there has to be a sense of immediacy. Yeah, for
2: urgency. For most people, yeah. Right? Yeah. To
0: actually do anything. Even if they see the benefit in it, right? They see that. Um, there's a genocide taking place. Right, we talk about the the, the, the uh, Uyghur. We can talk about uh, Mortania We can look at you know just kind of go around the world mm-hmm. and see conditions that just are what we would if we were going through those. We'd say these are unbearable conditions yeah. to live yeah. in. And all we got to do is to make a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it is. But there's no fire at our front
1: door. Yeah. So and sometimes yeah. honestly like. As much as someone may read the news or even watch a video on what's happening, like and they're like, "Oh my God, this is horrible," it still doesn't spark anything within them, because honestly, it's it's so easy to be behind your, you know, your your article or your computer and just, like, for a second, be like, feel like a slight pain, but like, it's so easy for you to go back into your bubble of of yeah. your of your life that is not afflicted with the same type of afflictions that they're going through, right? right. So like, for me, honestly, for some time, um. You know, I'm going to keep speaking with personal experience. Like, you know, I, I was I was grown up under, like, the shadows of, um, of like, my father's activism and um, and learning about the injustices that were occurring back home. Because the Uyghur situation, I mean, obviously, the oppression ha- has been ongoing for decades. It's not a recent thing. Although it has really escalated in the past couple of years with the camps. Um, but, you know, I grew up learning about the injustices, but, like, I never... Was, and I was, you know, being born and raised in America, I, I never saw that oppression firsthand, right? So I would hear about all these things, you know, we'd go to protests as a young kid and go in front of the Chinese embassies in D.C. But it wasn't until, like, I, in college, I decided to go to Turkey and interview a lot of the Uyghur refugees there who were, like, who were victims of uh, torture in the prisons, Um, who are victims of religious persecution meaning like I like I interviewed a mom whose daughter was sentenced to nine years of prison for wearing the hijab and and a long dress right and it wasn't until you know and and I remember interviewing this lady and just I could feel her trauma like even when she was talking like she would not take a breath and she was she was like I want to stand while I'm giving while I'm talking to you I can't sit in the same chair for this long but she kept going and she kept going on and on for three to four hours with zero stop like she didn't even want me to ask. I didn't even ask questions she just told me her story and she was like I want the world to know this I want the world to know this and honestly and I was a freshman like I just finished my freshman year of college and I was like honestly like at the moment I couldn't even process all this information that was being given to me because I was just so shocked um ask, let me yeah yeah
0: so growing up um with witnessing your father's activism right uh, and tell people who your father is.
1: Oh, my my father is Enwar uh, Yusuf Tarani. He's um, he has he's been a prime leader of like the East Turkestan independence movement um, since his arrival in the U S in 1988. Um, in 2004, he established the East Turkestan government in exile. So at the time of that, I was around seventy year, seven years old, not seventy. <laughs> um, just going back. To <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so that that is what you know has um you know my family to be involved when we were a young age because he would just kind of take him his kids everywhere and like be like you guys are gonna come join us today right. and, you know but
0: um yeah. so yeah so yeah so thank you for that we uh-huh. had the opportunity I uh, talked with him maybe it was this year maybe it was last year um uh, my my uh, gauge of time is really off right now I don't know why. Yeah but I asked that because even growing up with that uh, with that model in front of you Right and, and knowing what you did, you were st- you you still were not prepared for what this sister told you.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Honestly, I was just. Um like I, I thought I knew before I was like okay yeah like what's happening is horrible because like I remember my dad would make me like do presentations like and he would give me like a list of all the types of injustices that were occurring and I would give presentations at awareness conferences here in the states but never did I put a face to it like and my dad was actually like a victim a direct victim of this depression himself like he grew up during the cultural revolution and everything but I, I don't know I guess my I just met never like other than the stories he told me like it was just okay yeah that's my dad he went through that he's fine now whatever I mean obviously no not really because trauma carries on through generations and whatnot but it was it was different with this lady for example like her daughter was 19 years old at the time of i that at the during the time that i interviewed this lady i was also 19 right so this daughter right who is 19 was is now behind bars because she chose to wear the hijab and a long dress you know i also wear hijab and I I don't have to walk around in fear that I'm going to be in prison, rotting in in these prison cells, right, and these are not just normal prisons, these are not, you know, the the Chinese, and that's another thing, like, I interviewed political prisoners who were telling me how they got tortured, and this guy, one guy spent 90 minutes telling me, like, like, (laughs) torture methods that are worse than, I don't want to say worse than Guantanamo, like, Equal, if not worse, than Guantanamo Bay or Abu Ghraib, yeah. right? And we, we discuss these in our human rights violation classes and in, mm-hmm. in college and whatnot, right? When someone when when someone sits in front of you and he shows he shows you your scars and he like literally demonstrates to you the positions that he had to sit in for like hours and days and the fact that like he witnessed one of his inmates, um, you know, uh, like they they beat one of his inmates and to the point where like they had he had like um, uh, What's the correct term? In insects, you know, when you're you have like a uh, wound and it, and
2: like uh, parasites. Yes, no, parasites, like,
1: like just forming on his leg and, and that 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 leg being eaten infections. up. And, yeah, infections. infections. <laughs> but it was legit, like yeah, um, yeah. what's it called? The infested. No infested, but um, I I know the name of it. It's like the worms. Maggots,
2: maggots, maggots. Yes, I knew that. I knew it. 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 So
1: maggots, like literally maggots eating up this guy's leg in front of him in in prison, right? And he's like talking about like the the deliberate attempts to kill these prisoners. Like they would literally put like quote unquote put them to sleep, like lethally inject them. Like talking, and then one guy talked about how he literally witnessed a woman getting raped, like with two officers, right? And I was just like sitting there, and I'm like. Just like I'm speechless, right? And I like, I didn't even process everything until I got back to the United States. Um, and I you know I honestly came back with secondhand trauma. It was it was like a really you know um, interesting not interesting but uh, very like hard time. I, I never I never thought that would ha- I didn't even know what secondhand trauma was until it happened. I was like why am I experiencing symptoms of anger like you know. Um, just like my mind would wander like during class and if someone mentioned the word China, it would immediately trigger something in my head where I would just start like, you know, getting, like I felt like I was in prison for a moment because I would imagine all these torture methods happening to the 19-year-old girl who is the same exact as me except the only difference is that I'm in the States and she's in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan, right? And God knows what, if she's alive or not. And her mom is in Turkey suffering with, you know, five of her kids with her Um, One of her babies is still actually in East Turkestan, she doesn't know if if the baby's alive or dead. And this was actually before the camps, right? so keep in mind like this this is the level of progression that i was being exposed to at that time and then like the progression where then you start hearing about the construction of these quote-unquote vocational training centers and knowing that there's like tens of thousands first and then it becomes hundreds of thousands and then over a million and seeing even the progression of how slow media has been in covering it like all this stuff you know it adds up and you start and and it ignites a greater passion but um Honestly, I would say that tur- that trip to Turkey was a great turning point in my activism. And I encourage most, if people who are trying to be involved in a situation, talk to people. Talk to victims if you can, um, because that really changes things. When people like are you sharing your pain, yeah, when people start crying in front of you, like, yeah. and you start feeling their trauma, you, you'll you start feeling their pain.
2: It humanizes you know? the situation. It humanizes the yeah. situation
1: so much, right? Let me and- ask
0: you, Sadak, about um, Tunis. You said yeah. you have friends that up and went over <laughs> and protested, Yeah,
2: right? I, know, I know a sister who did, yeah. Yeah. How did, how did that impact you? Um, I felt immobilized during that time. Okay. Um, I felt like I, I couldn't really do anything. I mean, considering the fact that I was, I mean, it was my second year, I believe, in undergrad. And, you know, I was, it was in the middle of the year, January 2011, and... You know, I feel like I couldn't really do much, but I wanted to be a part of it. I just didn't know how. So I took to social media, of course, right? Because that was, I mean, the only thing that I could do. Right. Um, I would post articles. I would, you know, write statuses myself. I would, you know, try to acquire as much information on the situation that I possibly could. Um, But even then, I still just felt immobilized, right? Um, And just seeing how the... uh, revolution evolved and what it turned into um and how it was relatively successful in comparison to the other revolutions as well across the region um kind of you know made me feel hopeful but at the same time like uh disconnected being like physically disconnected being the that i was here in the united states and then also like uh uh Disconnected in other ways as well because I wasn't able to contribute that much although I still have a passion for it I still uh, have an interest in it and would still hopefully in the future in some way to some capacity to some degree be able to contribute To what is yet to come if there's anything else uh, that's yet to come um, My brother-in-law actually is uh, or he was uh, a member of the military in Tunis for like 10 years and uh, under the uh, Ben Ali uh, regime and so, you know, I, I've, I've heard stories from him and, you know, things that have taken place, uh, oppression, corruption, uh, things of that nature, and seeing how Tunis was pre-2011 and seeing how it is now, I mean, it's, it's a drastic difference, but, but the change is incredible. Mm. And it goes to show that, like, social justice and, 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 and activism mm. can, in fact, make a difference. Um, so as long as, you know, people choose to come together and consolidate their strengths together and their talents together and, you know, to whatever capacity uh, it is that they can, and then kind of, you know, make those demands and, you know, make that change manifest that they want to see.
0: Right. Let's talk a bit about reciprocal relationships Mm -hmm. um, within activism. One of the, I guess, one of the the main tenets is intersectionality now that we see how one person's struggle overlaps with another one. It's like this big Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, here we are, three Muslims, right? Um, in the United States of America, differing backgrounds which inform our view of the world, right? How does that intersection in you alls in, in your uh, you know, in your estimation, how does that impact our, our activism, the things that we fight for, right? The the Uyghur, um, that I mean, like I say, has we have the biggest concentration camp since Nazi Germany mm-hmm. that are in existence today, with unspeakable human rights violations uh, taking place. Things that if they were going on right here, we we know that there would there would be an immediate response, sure. right? We've had destabilized governments around the world, um, and. Everybody here in the United States, I'd say most of us can look look to some, well, not myself, right? Well, and that's a different, I shouldn't say not myself, but I would say that it's a different, um, I look back to a different struggle, a a continuing struggle, Mm -hmm. right? But how do these things come together in you all's estimation? You know, as Muslims, we, uh, you know, we've got different things that kind of set us off. Right, but how do they come together for us here?
2: That's a good question. Oh man, that's a big question.
0: <laughs> Is there okay? I'll 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 bring it. I'll make it a little bit smaller. Do we have enough room? Do we have enough time in the day to advocate for each other? For yeah, for each other. Do we have enough time to advocate for the Rohingya or the Weaver? for uh for mortania for syria yeah and at the same time talk about the overcrowding well i shouldn't say overcrowding but at the same time talk about the issues that are going on right here in chicago things that are happening in detroit in la and so on
2: i mean there's only like so much that one can do like there's only like like so much that one can like push themselves forth and like, right. exhaust themselves. I mean, it's, it's emotionally and like psychologically and like physically taxing at times, you know? And um, I think it's all about balance. And like, and, and honestly, at the end of the day too, like you, a person, an individual doesn't have to necessarily dedicate themselves to every single cause. Yeah, that, no, right. Because honestly, that's, honestly,
1: that, that's like impossible. It is impossible. I, it's, not, <laughs> it, it's, it's, honestly, it's,
2: it's not feasible, it's not practical. Right. It's not, you know, and it's, just, and it's just too, it's too draining emotionally. Psychologically and so forth and so on and so forth, Um, but I think what we can do is kind of allocate our responsibilities Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Differently amongst each other and kind of you know take on certain tasks um, That we can that we know that we can at least contribute to yeah,
1: I think important thing is figuring out what You can do so for example with the oil cause honestly sometimes even taking up one cause can be too much on one person, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I know within the Uyghur community, I have, like, friends and family who are, like, who are living in trauma right now because they haven't, like, they just found out that they're... You know their dad just died in a camp or they're or they've they've never like they haven't heard their children's voice in in years right and they don't even know if they're alive or dead right that is like an ongoing nightmare that they're living through every single day right and to expect someone to be like okay now this is happening in this part of the world this part because there's so much oppression going on around the world Honestly, these people I'm I'm sure would be more than happy to support, but at that very moment they're thinking about their loved one, yeah. right? Um, and rightfully so. And and yeah. rightfully so, right? And everyone and the thing is and the thing is. Like, um so if someone were to reach out to you and be like hey can you come to this protest on XYZ that's not Uyghur, right I'm sure they'd still be happy to go I I still try my best to show up to these other causes and show my you know show solidarity and 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 even use that as an opportunity to also talk about the Uyghurs and be like hey like we're going through something similar like we can all come out and support each other I think that's the you know a, 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 an okay expectation to have um but in terms of like having someone be an organizer for, Uyghur rights or Palestinian rights, you know, sorry, Uyghur rights and Palestinian rights and Rohingya and you know, all these other oppressed group of people. It's honestly impossible and it's too much to ask for. And that's why we have an um that's why we have community. That's why we have people from different backgrounds so we can all everyone has a role to play and we all come together um yeah. you know, when 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 those times are needed. And those times are needed all the time obviously. Yeah. But, you know, also assessing people's situation and being like you know, sometimes even one cause is too much on pers- on one person, um, and and you know sometimes I was just thinking this, you know, even with the term activism, if someone's called an activist, like you know, I I still I guess I still call myself an activist, but you know there have been times where a couple few for a few months I just was kind of inactive or inactive in in a in a public sense. Um, where you know I decided to deactivate my social media for some time for my personal health because it was just too much, or because I had other things ju- I was juggling on in my life that where I couldn't dedicate the amount of energy that I was before, right? But I was like in my head I was like, do I still um, do I just do, do I still call myself an activist in this case if I'm just like disappearing? And I remember when I w- went back on Twitter, this guy I don't know who he was he like tweeted at me he was like, oh you've disappeared for a month where did you go? I mean I didn't respond Whoa. to him but I was like. Well, I mean, I'm a human and like it's not really your business to know where I went, right? Mm Um, it's not like I'm the only person reporting on this issue. Like, there's a lot of the people you can follow. But it was just like, where did you go? You know, like, why are you leaving your... It, it kind of... That's what it felt like to me. Maybe. It, it almost
2: like they, they kind of, like, guilt you into submission yeah. because, like, it, it's as if... it's as They're if, like, you, you it's know... It's as if they're, like, dependent on you.
1: Exactly. And, yeah. and, and
2: then that's kind of, like, where, like, the emotional and, like, yeah. like psychological, like, uh, pressure comes in.
1: Right. And yeah. there were a couple times when I denied, like, you know... Uh, media request to speak because I was just at the, at the moment in time I just wasn't my heart wasn't there like I, mm-hmm. I because I was so tired I was yeah. so like dragged like I had this opportunity where I like where it was a pretty big news station I'm not going to say what it was and they invited me to speak and I had to it took me a day to like think about it I mean it's taught a prayer and I was like I said no at the end I was like I, I can't, I'll give this to someone else. And usually, like, I would say maybe one year from today, like a year ago, I would've been like, oh yeah, I'll definitely go. But I was just at this moment in my life where I was just like, I can't do it anymore. And it felt selfish though. I, I literally, I felt bad. I was like, and that's where the debate came in. And I was like, do I say yes, do I say no? Like, this is an important issue. It would also reach a higher audience. But I given, I mean, I'm, you know, there were some things going on at that, at that time. And I was just like, I can't, I can't put this on myself you know, journalists calling and, and being like, oh, do you, can I have 30 minutes or an hour of your time? I would be saying yes to this during, like, my last my last semester of college um, when I was also being the president of MSA and, like, taking up a bunch of, like, uh, extracurricular activities and also trying to do well in my classes. And for some reason, I just kept saying yes to these requests. And then... I remember, like, I, as soon as, like, they would call me, and I sometimes I'd, for, I'd, for, I'd actually forget about these appointments, I would regret, and I'd be like, why did I say yes to this? Because I knew that for that next hour, I'd be talking about torture. I'd be talking about camps. And by the end of that call, I'd feel utterly exhausted, and just, like, I would hate them. The rest of my day would be ruined, right? But, like... I I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I'm just, I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like, I I think I want to like address like balance and like, you know, that's, yeah, you know, the importance of,
0: (laughs) into the importance of joy. Right. Right. And the importance of balance because one of the things that I see in social media Mm -hmm. uh, often, a lot of people with different titles, whether they are, they have religious um, uh, uh, connotations or they're academic. Or whatever it is, Uh, and those titles become the sum total of the individual, right? Instead of being a part of who they are, Mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of danger that comes with social media, where we kind of strip away, you know, we strip away our humanity, yeah. uh, And we exist for the performance, right? We exist like you gone for a month. Somebody say where you been? Hold on, Uh, there's a whole lot (laughs) of world out there, right? So are you are you saying that? I'm here for your for you to be informed or for you to be entertained. And right. I think to a degree like when the news covers stuff, it very sometimes it will lead to policy change. It will lead yeah. to people being sensitized on an issue and they say this is just wrong or whatever, but there are a whole lot of elements that are involved in moving yeah. people's hearts, you know, right. in, uh, right. in that. So, where does joy come in, you know, where do you allow yourself to be just, you know, a whole person, you know, to, where does that, where does that come in? If the social media, and that's fine if you want to use social media just for that purpose, right? But how are you intentional about keeping that balance and, and, you know, because if if it's so much trauma, you got to have some joy. You got to be intentional about that as well. So where does that come in?
1: Well, I... Well, you can go if you no, want. No, no, no. No, I was going to say, um, like, I don't know, when when we say, like, okay, let's try to at the same time be happy and, and joyous and whatnot, I feel like that also comes with a level of privilege to be able to even say that, right? Mm-hmm. If I personally had my my dad or mom or sibling in a camp, I don't think there would be a single day where I could be, like, pure like have an actual good day like I and mean, they say you know happiness comes from your perce- your perception of things and your attitude and that's what shapes everything but sometimes you literally cannot control the situation you're in how can you go about your day like smiling and dancing or whatever, being when you know your mom is being tortured at that yeah. very moment, right? There's naturally a human cannot respond that way, right? Um, so, so when I when I talk about okay, what can I do to be happy today, right? Despite this, you know the the, the quote-unquote traumatic side of this activism, for for me it's like, and this is I think a symptom of of you know, like survivor's guilt. But like I was like, why why am I even be like, I'm asking this question, but it's like. And, alhamdulillah, I can still, I, I, I'm I able to ask this question for myself and I still make the means of trying to have a good day for myself and be happy. Mm-hmm. But I low key feel guilty for that as well because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, like, I don't know. Because for example, it's like, okay, today I'm not going to deal with do anything uyghur related because it, it saddens me, right? So I'm yeah. going to go do something fun for myself. I'm going to go bake a cake, I'm going to go ride a bike or whatever. And, you know, and it's good and I, you know they say self-care like in order for you to get back on the battlefield you need to take, take breaks you need to heal. you need to you know uh, continue make yourself go, keep going but it's like there's there's a guilt at the end of you at, at, on one side of you was like oh my god did I just go back into my bubble where yeah. I didn't have to think about this issue because I'm not because I don't have direct family members in these camps, you know what I mean? Um and again, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm digressing again, but like this is just the first thought that came to my head when you said like how do we remain joyous, right? How do we remain have a balanced life? So what, yeah, what part and of again, joy play? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, like a lot of it is, spir- is spiritual as well, like spirituality. I think the the whole concept of justice and the fact that Allah Subhanahu wa taala is like everything is happening under the watch of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and that if there's no justice in this life, there isn't hereafter. That gives me solace, right? The fact that like every ounce of pain that an oppressed person, that a person goes through, is, is you know, meaning that their sins are being erased. I'm like, may Allah put all the oppressed people in the highest level of Jannah, right? Right? It, because of this, because their sins are being washed away every second of that moment. Right? I, I have to think this way. Otherwise, honestly, if it wasn't for Islam, if it wasn't for this concept of justice or yeah. the fact that, yeah, 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 I honestly, I you know, yeah. we'd be a wreck. You know, yeah. I'd be a wreck, and it would just it would be so hard for me to like even contemplate that. Yeah. Right. My
0: my intro. Oh, sorry. Did you have anything you wanted to add to? I that mean,
2: before? no. I I think you summed it up really well, I didn't. Um, I was gonna say something very similar along those lines, actually. But yeah, I mean, like knowing that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is, uh, you know, going to compensate those who suffered. In this dunya, I mean, it all goes back to the idea of capacity, right? Like, what can you do? We can only do so much within our own limited capacities, and our capacities are, in fact, very limited. So, I mean, you can you can you know exhaust yourself as much as you'd like, but at the end of the day, like, what more can you do? I mean, right. at the end of the day, you're not in control of everything. We're just not. Um, and knowing that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is in fact control of everything at every second. Um,
1: I'll i uh, also add that, like you know, going back to the idea of self-care, that actually making the effort to be joyous ourselves is is an act of worship, right? And and, and sure. you're you're taking on Allah's blessings and, and making use of them, right? Because I feel like if, if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given us this, has blessed us with you know all these, uh, you know, a uh, good environment or a good situation. And not making use of that, and just like moping in sadness, like that is also maybe something that might disappoint it right? Yeah. Um, so and and also like you know when we ourselves are joyous, when we ourselves make an effort to have healthier lifestyles, then we are also more effective in our work, right? Um, yeah. yeah.
0: My first, th- those are those are great great points from uh, uh, both of you. My introduction to, if we'll say activism, and I would like to say is awareness, right? Because. Mm-hmm. You're not active until you are aware that there is an actual problem or right? sure. something is not right. And one of the the greatest uh, difficulties and uh, challenges we face is, is normalized depression when we begin to see something mm-hmm. where we should stand up and just look at it. Ah, that's just the way things are. So one of the first books that I read as a as a young person, I was like eight or nine years old. First real big book yeah. was um, the Ebony Pictorial uh, History of uh, African America, African America. And it went back to, to Africa all the way through the Civil Rights Movement. And, um, of course, a, a great deal of it was focused on the enslavement of, of Africans here, you know, in the United States. And it was, I guess it was traumatic to a degree, yeah. right? Uh, it was a lot of it was just, it was, it was very painful. But from that point on, I looked for, I guess, the recurring pattern. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was looking for that recurring pattern of injustice. See how, you know, we went from enslavement to Emancipation Proclamation to the Black Codes to Jim Crow, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, and then to see how that oppression shifted, you know, uh, into this um, so-called war on drugs and on crime, and yeah. how uh, African Americans have been portrayed in the media. Uh, you know, negatively stereotyping all of that. I say all of that to say that that experience was not one just of of, uh, of 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 oppression, right? Of difficulty. It was also one that, out of that, there was a lot of beauty that came out of it. So you like, you know, how can you how can you sing songs? How can you be happy, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not so much about happiness in a sense of frivolity, but happiness, that awareness, like you mentioned that this is not everything. This is not the end all be all of life. We may, we may be in difficulty now, but okay. we can count on relief coming later, right? So the gospel music, the blues, all these creative expressions that really came out of very dark places yeah. are reminders for me. Number one, they may get one of us, right? Think about those people who are in these concentration camps, those people who are dealing, you know, who are just, experiencing what we might consider unimaginable, unimaginable difficulty. Um, But if we allow ourselves to also be imprisoned, then it's like they got a two for one, right? The whole idea is that we reject that reality as being the only reality, right? And yeah, I guess we could, you could feel, you know, like you're almost kind of doing a disservice to the struggle. Right, or to the reality of of oppressed people by being happy um, or smiling or whatever. But I started to think like if I was, yeah, if I'm in difficulty, I don't want those around me going through the same. I don't want them also tortured. I don't don't want them imprisoned, right? It's like every generation, you want better for those who come behind you. Uh, So yeah, it is deliberate. And it's kind of conflicting uh, it can feel kind of conflicting, but when I look back at the enslaved, uh the enslaved Africans who came here, who were brought here, I feel like you've got to find ways to reclaim that, that happiness or, or that, that sense of self. You have to yeah. do that for sure, right? Because other than that, you know, we're not human beings, we're not here to be.
2: And I don't think it's, it's, I know, but it's not healthy to like have like a nihilistic like worldview either. Yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Let's, yeah. Uh, right like Like. I mean, we have to like be we have to look towards positivity Yeah. the long run. so yeah. um, so I
0: mean, go, ahead, go ahead
2: yeah I mean I just I mean I'm kind of like just thinking about like how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frames everything in the Quran right yeah. like life is nothing but a series of trials and tests yeah. and depending on how you navigate through these trials and tests mm-hmm. in this dunya you will then either end up in eternal bliss or internal punishment right so yeah. but it's but as Muslims obviously we're supposed to have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and look towards and work our way towards Jannah. So it's I mean, kind of like it's it's somewhat analogous of of the way we should kind of perceive our activism as well. Yeah.
0: I would put a challenge out for anybody listening to going back um the chronic the logic of the human being gets what they work for. Mm. Right? man or woman you get what you actually work for and if we if we don't see what we think we ought to have then we probably should check what we're actually doing and so so that means that to simply share the tweet right to like it whatever it is and not do that bare minimum like you said people are not making phone calls right they're not you know they just aren't doing anything and we can tell we can say that as a fact because the situation has not changed yet, mm. whatever the situation is, mm. right? If we're doing what we're supposed to do, we'll see the actual outcome of that. Mm. Kind of a blanket statement, right? There's there's some room for, you know. Sure. There's, there's, there's some room in there, but uh, just in general, I think, that's, I think that's part of the challenge. And hopefully that's one of the things that people might get that I'm thinking about in this conversation, um, actually moving the needle. And not letting yourself be uh, be destroyed by the work, oh yeah yeah, I think that's like one of the uh, the biggest things.
2: Yeah. We, we shouldn't be like subservient to the whole doom and gloom narrative, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I just you know I, I just cannot live like that. I, li- I like to laugh too much to be
1: quite <laughs> honest oh. I do yeah. I know it's not like one of the coping mechanisms for those going through trauma is actually through laughter. Yeah. Right. They'll they'll make they'll take all the joke even if it's like a really depressing joke they'll just start laughing. Yeah. And it, i was just like I don't know that's the first thing I thought of when you said that. That's true. Yeah. Um, I was a yeah. firefighter.
0: I was a correction officer. Yeah. Uh, and in both of those fields you see things that yeah. most people will will never see. Yeah. Right. And you know a, a part of that of, of just trying to just trying to make make peace with it you process it okay well i found a way to make it funny somehow yeah yeah let's keep that
1: yeah. but also seeing it as a blessing that you know you're also kind of seeing the realities of what life and death is you know right yeah. and people i also feel i think you know it's it's not a good thing when people are sheltered in their bubble their entire life because when all of a sudden something bad happens it's like the, it's like the end of the world you know yeah um so giving them kind of like a taste we're not giving them a taste. That sounds horrible. I'm saying like <laughs> we're not going to edit that out. Either. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we're keeping no. Uh you know, we just no because it, it certain experiences humble people, right? Like they they it, it grounds them into the purpose of it grounds them into a certain level of uh, humility and and um, empathy and empathy and also like even talking if you want to talk about religion. Many times it's what brings people to Allah Subhanahu So I think a lot of you know even what's happened to the Uyghurs. Uh, one thing that helps me get through is is me seeing how much people have now turned to Islam as as a coping mechanism, and yeah. people who never even like prayed in their life have are now praying five times a day and are super strict about making sure that Allah Subhanahu is what comes first in this world, yeah. right? Um, so you know I I was talking when I was in my in Turkey like one of the biggest that i was getting out of my interviews was how people like saw the wisdom and all the suppression how it now has turned them to allah and i think that's part of also allah's plan in all of this right so yeah i mean there's there's a reason for everything and i guess that's a good way to conclude yeah yeah
0: (laughs) Um, well it has been a pleasure talking to you both um we want to do something i don't normally have um uh folks do but because you all are special Radio Islam contributors, I want you to go ahead and tell folks, say your name and tell folks where they can find you.
2: Uh, (laughs) So, uh, Sadiq bin Abdullah, uh, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook, uh, at uh, Sadiq, S-A-D-O-K, capital B, Abdullah. Um, Yeah.
1: Why do you spell Abdullah.
2: I'm assuming people know how to spell it. I'm done it with an A, not a U. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a diverse audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I told
1: you. I would have done it with the yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, my name is Aydin Anwar. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, my first Aiden Anwar underscore. So it's A-Y-D-I-N-A-N-W-A-R underscore. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and follow me on there.
0: Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Thank you both. Um, both, we appreciate you all listening. Uh, as we told you before, if you want to email us, do so, producer at radioslime.com. Uh, and you already know, we're on Twitter. I think I've told you before. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Imam Tariq Alameen. I'm not going to spell all that out. <laughs> just, just, that's just it it is what it is <laughs> alright uh, I'm your host and producer Tariq Alamine. our executive producer is Abdi Malik Mujahid. we remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation with that we are going to leave you as we greeted you join me May uh, the peace that only God can give be upon you
2: the next it's the best best and bad. The next it's the 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 best.